everyone. Welcome into our first post-training camp edition of the Bills Beat Podcast. And we're literally doing it basically three minutes after we have stepped foot off of the campus of St. John Fisher College. Great feeling. Yeah, we, we've got another on-the-road cast for all of you, and, and it, we're, we're going to have a little fun here because camp is done all 16 days, 14 of which were in Pittsburgh, New York, and uh, now the Bills shift back to Orchard Park to practices that we can't see, and, uh, you know, they have three more preseason games to go starting with Friday night against the Cleveland Browns. Um, before we get into anything, uh, just got to say, got a pretty cool email um, from Jeff, uh, and and he, he just emailed in and said, hey, just wanted to let you know you guys do a great job on the podcast, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because he listens all the way from Australia, and I thought that was pretty stinking cool. All the way down under. Gotta love it. Yeah. The, a, the reach of the podcast knows no bounds, clearly. Right, and I, I just, I, I love that it's not just Buffalo people. There's a lot of transplants out there. A lot of people that have taken up with the Bills, and and uh, and you know, thanks for joining us along, no matter how uh, where you're coming from. So it's a it's a pretty cool feeling to to hear stuff like that from our perspective. So Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic, here we are on the uh, on the last drive down the 490 until 2019. Hopefully. That's a good feeling. Uh, yeah, it's a great feeling. As much as I love the 490, it's very well constructed. Goes right through the heart of the beautiful city of Rochester. But I'm about I'm about done with it. <laughs> there are two schools of thought on how to get to St. John Fisher College from Buffalo. One being the 490, the other being the 390 to the 590. Then back to the 490. You don't get on the 490. I think you do. No, you can if no, you want. You get off on uh, Monroe Ave and then take the right onto Allen's Creek and, and wiggle your way down. You can. Yes. Well, you could also jump on the 490 and then get off Fairport Road or whatever. Well, I am. I have done both. I'm a big 490 guy yeah. myself. I have done both, and I am here to report that it takes the same amount of time for both of them. So it really just depends on if you want to be the ni- on the 90 for a little bit longer. I think there's some days where it's a little bit better to go... On the five, the three ninety to the five ninety, because if it's like early morning, you don't hit that Rochester city traffic. But on but like you weekends, pay more tolls. You do. It's more expensive. It, it the it's a sixty percent or sixty cent cost. Yeah. To you. Both ways. Both ways. That's right. Dollar twenty. Well, some, I don't know. I mean. I know you work in TV, but I don't just have a dollar twenty to throw out the window every time I come to training camp. No, I I don't. But I also think time is money. Uh-huh. And you just admitted that it's the exact same time. So no, but if if it's always go the four ninety. If the, always go the four ninety. If there is traffic, then I'm gonna do what I can to avoid that traffic. See, I'm you know I'll not allow okay. It. All right. Well, we've just spent four minutes on the four ninety versus the three ninety slash five ninety. So, we will move on to Bill's topics and really just an overall view of what happened in uh, in this year's training camp. And it, it was a mostly, uh, it wasn't like as stark as last year's camp because there were a lot of huge elements to the, the last year's camp. You know, I think the, the things that stuck out more than anything were just LaShawn McCoy talking after the whole situation right on day one, the Corey Coleman trade, and then I think the couple of uh, fights, the one Kyle Williams punching up on Vlad Dukas, and then uh, Zay Jones chucking a helmet. I'm not sure whose helmet it was, but it was a helmet. But it was Micah Hyde's helmet. It might have been. If he, if he threw his own helmet, hey, pop, more power to him. That is the biggest power move because then you're like, well, if he's so mad, he throws his own helmet. That's something. Yeah, he was not happy, that's for sure. I, I'm pretty sure he threw Micah Hyde's helmet, but it, there was just a massive humanity, and then a helmet went flying. So I'm not really sure how that happened, or I'm assuming Zay Jones threw it. But that was one of certainly one of the more interesting days of camp, I would say. Well, I, I did see Zay Jones throw it, and then Micah Hyde took a ball and punted it in frustration. So there were 
yeah, that was it was high intensity. It was also Zay Jones' first day in pads as he tried to get back on the field. But all in all, the entire conversation throughout camp has revolved around the quarterback position, and I don't want to spend too terribly too much time because I think there are enough elements of positions outside of quarterback that we have not yet gone over on this podcast. So very quickly, on this rotation, and that kind of took a step this past week with Josh Allen getting time with the twos. On this rotation, should we really read anything into anything that they've done so far other than the fact that they're getting Josh Allen time on the field? You know, I think Josh Allen moving up is noteworthy Yeah, uh, because it's been consistent the last couple of days, which leads you to believe they're maybe willing to put him in with the second-team offense in a preseason game, which I think would certainly you know, provide a better look at where he is in his development. But other than that, we don't have a lot of answers about the quarterback position, which is interesting to me because they're going to go to Cleveland on Friday, and then when they get back to Orchard Park and have practice on Sunday, it's not going to be open to the media. Nope. And so with so much unsettled and, you know, we're going to be at the mercy of their word on what's going on behind closed doors and how they're rotating things and divvying up reps and as we've seen even when we can see practice they're not willing to say a whole lot anyways none of the quarterbacks would say you know where they're playing when they're going to be playing Sean McDermott told the team but wouldn't tell the media or the public uh, probably told the players to not tell the media right so I don't know it's it is what it is and they're gonna keep it as much of a secret as they can but as we've said all along this is Josh Allen competing against himself to determine whether he's ready for week one and if he's not then it's you know Nathan Peterman or AJ McCarron whichever one looks better but either way whether it's September 10th or mid-November whenever Josh Allen is ready he's going to be on the field because he's too talented to keep him off the field for too long. I think it is, like you said, notable that they moved him to the second-team offense for the last three practices. Probably because they listened to our podcast after the game. Yeah, when totally. When we were just sick of seeing him with the third-team offense. Right. And I think, you know, Sean is an avid listener, I'm sure. And, oh, yes. And was like, you know what, these guys are right. You know what would be funny? If, like, the next time we see him on Friday night, if he goes, hey, just want to let you know, you guys were right. He's like, Wait. I was driving on the 490, as any sensible person would, and I was listening to the podcast, and great point, you know? <laughs> if he actually admitted to us that we were the reason that he put Josh Allen with the twos this week, well, what was another funny part is, I think it was Sunday, I, I asked him point blank, hey, are, is that something we could see because we have yet to see it at training camp at this point? And he said, well, you have seen it. Sean? We, we, we haven't seen it. I, I mean, I know you're listening, and I don't mean to like insinuate that you fibbed, but I'm insinuating that you fibbed a little bit there. He didn't go with the twos at all before Sunday. Maybe there was... It's, it's all semantics. He was not the second quarterback in the rotation in any practice, but you could argue that, hey, he had the second-team offensive line with him on this particular day, or... He had these receivers with him. The twos is a an arbitrary, you know, label, I guess, in some ways. Arbitrary. But, but we all we all know sure. uh, we all know that Josh Allen was either with the threes or sprinkling in with the ones. It wasn't, at least to my eye, ever happening with the second team offense. Which it's this is going to make Friday all that more interesting because I do think he will play with the second team. As do I. Not sure who will start. Not sure it matters. But I think it makes it really interesting because then you've got Tarad Taylor up against <laughs> either A.J. McCarron or Nathan Peterman. Or, and then after that, you have Baker Mayfield up against Josh Allen sort of head-to-head. So lots of intrigue in that nationally televised preseason game. You just hit me with a Tarad with that when I'm not even thinking it's going to uh, happen? I mean, after three years of pronouncing his name wrong, I've got to show the man some respect. Well, hang on just a minute. If... 
if he was too polite to correct everyone, which was the insinuation of uh, Aditi's tweet after she had spoken with, I believe it was Joel Batonio in Cleveland, about Tarad's name, if he was too polite to correct everyone else, he was also too polite to correct himself because, you know, I, I, I dug up a video today of him on uh, one of those old, old One Buffalo Facebook videos wishing people a happy holidays. And he said, hey, everyone, this is Tyrod Taylor of the Buffalo Bills. Tyrod. I'd have to go back deep into my archives to find the interview I did with his mom when he was competing for the starting job a few years ago because I'm almost positive she said Tyrod. Maybe it's just him really wanting to be a new man and a new player in Cleveland. Which I'll allow. I'm going to be Tarot yeah. instead of Tyrod. If they, I kind of like Tyrod. Yes, yeah, so, so do I. It's It's got a little bit more of a, I mean, he dresses really well and it's got, it's like a, like a clothing line. Tyrod. Yeah, I, it's, there's a certain mystique to it. I, I'll, I'm, I'm here for it. I vote yes on Tyrod. Yeah, I'm in favor of it too, but I don't want it to, to be like, hey, Everyone in Buffalo called me by the wrong thing because he literally called himself that, and I, I, I get it. If you want, if you want to pronounce your name Tarad, then go for it by all, by all means. Anyway, uh, back to Josh Allen really quickly. I think part of this plan, finger quotes, because you can't see me. Um, I think part of this plan is all to do with getting Josh Allen on the field with the team that will spend the most amount of time on the field during the preseason game because he was with with the third team he got a full two quarters likely to be with the second team on uh, uh on friday night against the cleveland browns which is likely going to be the unit that receives the most time on the field because normally the, the starters get a little bit more time in that second preseason game. The second team gets a little bit more time, and the third team kind of gets the scraps. So, with that in mind, maybe this was the design to up to this point. And then after this point, after, as you brought up, Sean McDermott goes back to practices where he doesn't have to worry about what the media sees, then if... Josh Allen performs well enough in those preseason games or this upcoming preseason game, perhaps he opens his mind to the idea of Allen starting. It might have been a non-starter all along for him to move up the depth chart enough to push for the starting job within the first two weeks. I think he understands the the hullabaloo that came with him putting Nathan Peterman in that starting lineup last year. And it's probably got a residual effect on him, whether he admits it or not. And I would tend to believe that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen behind closed doors. And then we get told after the fact. And that's probably how he wants it. He doesn't want this whole the public eye to be on this decision the entire time. And they're getting close to the point where they have to make some sort of decision so that they know how to divide up reps and get the offense ready to play in regular season games. And he said back in minicamp that by the second, third, fourth week of training camp, they need to have this figured out and start developing some continuity with the first-team offense. And we're getting to about that point. They're about three weeks in, and I think next week will be week four, right? So I think by then you need to figure it out, and it would – it would be convenient timing in the sense that, you know, practice is going to be completely closed other than the first 15 minutes. We'll probably see roughly what the rotation looks like, but we won't have any idea about how guys are performing or anything like that. So it works out that in this first few weeks, there hasn't been an obvious move made by any of the quarterbacks. The Bills haven't really tipped their hand, and now they can figure the whole thing out without that added layer of I guess pressure and and you know what the public eye might think what what people are going to think on the outside now it can be an internal decision and they can you know figure it out behind closed doors I think the only thing that would matter in uh, in the second preseason game for how the quarterbacks stack up would be a if Josh Allen is not with the twos and they and they either put 
put him with the ones or the threes, that would at least change what we've seen over the last several days. And two, or did I start off with A? We'll go with A and B. And B, if Nathan Peterman gets the start again, because if he does get the first two starts of the preseason and A.J. McCarron gets only second and what could be third team reps in the preseason, that is a clear indicator from the Bills that they've liked what Nathan Peterman has been cooking up this summer. And if he plays well enough, perhaps he becomes the favorite uh, of landing this starting job outright. I tend to believe that they probably won't do that, but I also thought if I had to choose ahead of last preseason game that it would be A.J. McCarron getting that start based on what we saw. So take it for what it's worth, but if Peterman is with the ones again, that's something. Yeah, I think that might be the bigger story, even unless Josh Allen sprinkles in with the ones at all. But A.J. McCarron has seemed a little bit disillusioned with the quarterback competition and everything that's gone on since he signed here. And I think if he were to play with the third team, that would not – I don't know how he would handle it. I don't know that that would go over really well with him. So part of me thinks maybe they they'll just give him the start, but then there's part of me that thinks if they really believe that Nathan Peterman is having a stronger start, then he will be the guy under center. And if that's the case, that tells you everything you need to know about the first few weeks of camp and how the Bills are viewing things. And I would also argue that it kind of gives Josh Allen a clearer path to the field. Because I think a guy like Nathan Peterman is more bound to maybe make mistakes and show why they need to go to Josh Allen as opposed to A.J. McCarron who plays it safe and could probably hang on to that job uh, you know, a little bit longer just by the way of not making as many mistakes. So I think if, if Peterman gets the start, that'll be a pretty huge story to follow over the next week or so because A.J. McCarron already seems a little bit perturbed by everything that's gone on. So if he were to not get a start, then he might not feel like he's getting a fair shake. Right, and you know, I would I would tend to argue that he's not getting a fair shake if he's not getting a a uh, time with the first team, unless of course they play it off by having Peterman be the starter in the first two games, and then having McCarron go with the ones in the third game where they get the most time just to make up for it. But I would tend to think they're not going to drag this thing out forever with all three of these guys. Eventually, they have to eliminate one of them. You would think, and uh, I think they're. They're almost waiting to see if one of them eliminate themselves. And I think might quite possibly more than Peterman or McCarron, they're waiting to see if Josh Allen eliminates himself from the starting contention, which if they had their druthers, they would probably like him too, just to start the season. So he's a little bit, uh, they've got some more time with him to develop him and and go over all the the many rough spots that he might have that they've spotted since he's been with them. So Josh Allen and what, where he lines up, who he lines up with. And then if Nathan Peterman starts, it's, it's going to be, I think Friday is going to be fun. I mean, we've got Tarod, we've got Baker. We've laid this out on the last podcast, but now it's almost here. Corey Coleman, Corey Coleman, who's going back to his old stomping grounds after we just saw, uh, an episode of Hard Knocks that featured him going in, getting chewed out by Todd Haley that I don't know what Todd Haley was watching because he's like, the ball is in your chest. It was like way away from him out of his outstretched hands and it wasn't in his chest. And he even said, it wasn't in my chest. And then Haley continued to berate him. And then... Yeah, big breaking news of Hard Knocks. Todd Haley might be an asshole. <laughs> You're making breaking out the bleep on the last day of camp? You're making me... Is that a bleepable offense? Yes! Okay. Well, we were talking about Hard Knocks. They don't bleep anything on Hard Knocks. So. Well, this is this is not Hard Knocks. This is the Bills beat. You could have called... You could have said butthole. You could... Well, you, would just sound like an idiot. 
I don't know if I like you anymore. <laughs> uh, well, and the end of that was Corey Coleman going, whoa, little rock on the windshield? That'll do. Uh, Corey Coleman. That's what I need. Yeah. <laughs> Corey Coleman going to uh, Hugh Jackson's office and saying, hey, if you're going to run me with the twos, why don't you all just trade me? And they did. And then it, there was another feature, I believe it was Emmanuel Ogba, who they were going over the trade and they're like, man, a 2027th round pick? That's basically getting traded for nothing. Like, that's saying they don't want you. And, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it essentially was. So. That is part of this. Um, I'm going to look forward to watching Miles Garrett play in, in this game. That'll be pretty cool. Um, yeah, and there, there's a lot of very interesting uh, elements to this game. But let's go back to a Bills perspective. Let's take a, take a step away from the quarterback table. I know, it's tough. You're going to have some withdrawal here. But let's go to some other positions, and I've found over the last four days to be the most compelling has been the tight end spot, and I think we've brought up Jason Kroon before here on this podcast, but now it's backed up by another guy, Kari Lee, who has really stepped it up. The Bills Bills really like Kari Lee because he's the best blocker on the team. He uh, is showing his ability to make plays in space and go up and get a tough catch as he showed at the end of the uh, preseason game that set up the touchdown by Josh Allen. And all of this is coming after watching Nick O'Leary essentially just being there and just being on the field. Very average player. And average has been good enough at the tight end position for a while, and that's how he's kind of hung around. But now with Charles Clay, who's obviously the starter, Kroom stepping his game up as much as he has. And let's not forget, Kroom is a guy that the Bills cut after training camp last year and brought him back on the practice squad in Week 9. Kari Lee, who was on the roster last year, but has shown much more uh, this time around. And then, you know, Logan Thomas, who looks like a more complete tight end now than he did at this point last year. It's compelling because Nick O'Leary has been bumped down to the third team, and it makes me wonder, maybe not even wonder, it makes me think and know that Nick O'Leary is very much in roster trouble this year. Absolutely, and it's because of what everybody else has done, more so than what he hasn't, because he hasn't fallen off, he hasn't become a different player, he's always just been okay. And now it looks like they have a few tight ends that maybe are a little bit better than that. Of that group, I've liked Logan Thomas probably the best throughout training camp. I think when, in terms of what you can do with Logan Thomas, I think, you know, similar skill set to Jason Kroom, I guess. They can both, you know, beat you with some speed uh, on some level. Kari Lee, not quite as much. But Logan Thomas is making a lot of plays during red zone drills, showing some chemistry with basically all the quarterbacks but more than anything I think watching that position this training camp makes me think that's going to be a priority next off season next draft season because they can finally get out from under Charles Clay's contract I believe next off season there hasn't really been a logical out to this point and he's a I think he's still going to carry the load as much as he's physically able to. I think he still looks pretty good when he's on the field and and when he's 100%. But the rest of these guys have shown a little bit more than I expected them to. Same. I think, you know, it starts with Logan Thomas for me, but Karoom came on in the last couple of weeks, and Kari Lee, ever since the preseason game, seems to be trending in the right direction. Nick O'Leary kind of just staying put. And... I'm not sure, you know, like you said, that's been good enough in the past. I'm not sure it's going to be good enough this year. And that could leave him on the outside looking in because they might keep four tight ends yeah. and he might not be one of them. Right. And that's that's one of the things that will probably surprise some people that they might keep four tight ends. Well, the way that from what we've seen from Brian Dable's offense in practice, they use multiple tight ends a lot. So... For them, if they have four tight ends that 
they feel like is capable or are capable in that in that very offense, then you keep them. And I'm I was on uh, I believe it was One Bills Live the other day, and and uh, Murph asked me, "You think they would keep four tight ends and a fullback?" Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, how much is the fullback really on the field? You, you, two tight ends will be on the field, I think, more often than a fullback in this offense. And and I think for them having the option for athleticism and with Kari Lee blending the two a bit more than he did last year and even Logan Thomas doing the same and then you have the developmental piece in in Jason Kroom where maybe he's not ready for the light of day of the regular season just yet but there are major tools to work with and if you can get that blocking to come around which is still a work in progress and that's probably putting it politely if you can get that to come around, then you have a potential number two, possibly even a number one tight end down the line because that's how good of athleticism he has and that's how many plays he's made in training camp so far. So the tight end position is very much one to keep your eye on because for the first time in a long time, we've seen some actual competition. And the fact that Nick O'Leary has gone down the depth chart as quickly as he has is indicative of that. All right, let's um, let's see what position shall we go to next? Uh, let's go with the defensive ends. We haven't talked too much about those. It's been pretty much locked in that Jerry Hughes is going to be the starter over there. Eddie Yarborough is going to be on the team. But the two talking points of this position, more than any others, are. Shaq Lawson and Trent Murphy and they're for two very different reasons Trent Murphy was the free agent signing he was brought in to take on uh, the starting role push Shaq Lawson to the bench and that would be and Lawson would be more of a rotational guy than anything and what we've seen in training camp so far is that Murphy has not been able to get on the field and or stay on the field I should say he practiced I think for the first five or six days got himself hurt hurt his groin was out about a week came back for two and a half practices re-injured his groin and now he's out TBD we don't know when he's coming back and Sean McDermott when I asked him today is it one of those things where you might even just sit him till the start of the regular season he said you know what we're we're honestly trying to figure that out ourselves and the fact that he didn't dismiss the notion means to me that you know they they are worried that this thing could linger a little bit and for him to not be able to get on the field as quickly as as uh, or as capably as fans and the team would have hoped that's a major disappointment to this point yeah it is it's somewhat normal for a guy coming off an ACL to have something else act up like a groin or a hamstring when you're trying to you know, favor the knee or whatever it may be. But he needs to get on the field. I mean, they're paying him a lot of money, and, you know, they need him to be healthy week one no matter what. And I don't know if him missing a few weeks because of this groin will be a huge issue. What would be a worse issue is if he tries to come back too soon and in week three he, you know, has to miss a couple of weeks because – you know, the groin's acting up again. If that becomes a long-term issue, that could spiral the wrong direction and, and really make him a big disappointment. But the good news is that Shaq Lawson has looked better. And so they do have some insurance at that spot. And, you know, they weren't hoping. that's not That wasn't really the plan necessarily, that Trent Murphy would be a letdown and Shaq Lawson would rise to the occasion but so far that's been the case and it's still so early they've played one preseason game and Trent Murphy's kind of missed a handful of uh, you know practices here and there with the groin I'm not ready to write him off just yet but it is nice for the Bills that they have Shaq Lawson waiting in the wings he's not I don't think he's going to transform himself into a different player like some people think you know I know he's lighter than he's been I know he's in better shape He's not really that much different as a pass rusher. He's got a few moves um, that, you know, he seems to 
have added to his arsenal, but you know he's batting down passes at the line of scrimmage and playing good run defense. If they get that out of him, that'll be solid because he's just going to be a rotational guy, ideally, anyways. But uh, you know, the best case scenario for them is that you know he continues to climb and that Trent Murphy can get healthy and they can provide a steady rotation because this defensive line, when everybody's healthy, is going to be a lot deeper than it was a year ago. Before I get to Lawson, one quick point on Murphy, and then we'll move on to the the third-year guy. Um, Murphy, even when he was playing, what concerned me more than anything was that he seemed to take everything wide on all his pass rush attempts. It didn't seem like he had much of a counter move because it almost felt like just by watching that he was hesitant to make those counter moves and and to go with the the inside and and to cut on it and 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 get into the inside and trying to bully his way in there that it 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 hasn't looked right to me at this point for him and and that is a slight concern but again he is coming off the ACL he does have the groin injury now so perhaps that is warranted but he's going to have to get up to speed eventually and I agree that they should not or he should not try to push his way through because I remember the story that you wrote about how he tries to push through and all these things and he just he just wants to succeed but he needs they need to keep him in check they need to to make sure that he does not hurt himself further by getting out there too soon and so maybe this is a thing that lingers maybe he's not ready for the start of the regular season but as long as he's ready by some point in the first month then and he can actually be impactful then I still think there's a chance where this signing might work out for them in the first year but if they just let this thing linger then it's gonna be bad and fans are gonna be all over him fans are already starting to get all over him because they're like oh I've got bad feelings about this and not every fan but that when when Trent Murphy's injury happened again at training camp, that was some of the uh, some of the people's reactions, and that's fair because you're going to be a fan that all you know of Trent Murphy at training camp so far is not that he's had great practices; it's that he's been injured twice, and and that he was injured all last year. So that stigma is going to stick with you. So I get that, but the Bills need to make sure Murphy gets to. 100% before they, they push him out there. I, I would put the groin injury along with the hamstring as ones you just don't mess with. You you make sure they're right because they are integral to the rest of your playing ability, and then and then you go from there. Which, wow. by, which by the way, before, before you start, Sean McDermott probably said my favorite thing that he said. He's like, he's like, He's got a groin. We've got a bunch of groin. We've had a bunch of groins. Had a few different groins, and they're all different. <laughs> which is, I would hope so. <laughs> oh my god! He, the thing is, I asked him that question, so he was staring right at me. I was cracking hard when he was saying it, and I don't think he realized that I was. I was trying to hold it in, but when he's talking about, hey, you know, we've we've had a few different groins, all of. T- <laughs> They're all they're all unique in their own way, you know. <laughs> a little bit too much information than I needed on my Wednesday morning. We could have used more information yeah. on the quarterback <laughs> rotation, but yet you're telling us about different unique groins. Hashtag unique groins. <laughs> hey, if if you're listening, hashtag us unique groins. That we're gonna get that trending yeah. during a Bills game. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's that that would be the main concern with Trent Murphy, Shaq Lawson mind you, has definitely stepped up in the sense that he is still, you know, seems like he's solid against the run, solid enough, and it looked that way in the preseason game. What I am anxious to see with him is if he can actually bring something as a pass rusher, because we really haven't seen that at any point in his career. I mean, he kind of backs his way into sacks when he has gotten them, for the most part. There are exceptions, obviously. But what we've seen him do time and time again is he gets goes with a, a, a head of steam, gets inside the pads, and then he's neutralized. 
And he does that far too often for my taste. Or he, you know, gets kept on the periphery of the pocket. And that's why he has developed his counter to that, which is batting down passes, which is a good thing because if you can't get penetration, then you have to be able to do something to help your team. And that has been a notable addition to his uh, to what he is able to do on the field. But at the same time, he still has to be able to get to the passer. And that is what the Bills really struggled with all last year. They need a suitable person on the other side of the line to help Jerry Hughes, to help Kyle Williams, and I still want to see him do more of that, which is why you have to think you have to think that Shaq Lawson needs a meaningful preseason, you know, few reps of pass rushing to show that he is improved because right now, I mean, I remember last year, he, he looked great in training camp, but the season started off well from a, as a run defender and then he looked poor and then, you know, it, it, then he started battling about whether or not he was going to be in the starting lineup and all of that, all of that happened and it's just like, he needs to step it up in an actual game. He, he can practice well all he wants. We've seen it. Two years now. Do it in a game. Well, he needs to, you know, what happened last year with him was that he had a few minor injuries that he let, you know, linger, and those affected his weight. And I think that was the main problem with him is that when something like that hits, when he gets injured or, you know, he's called into question and he's fighting for a starting job, in the past it's gone you know it's had a negative effect on him and then he was out of shape and then you can't really count on a guy who's out of shape and who can't keep his weight down so sure he showed up to the most important training camp of his life in great shape lighter than he's been in many years and had a great training camp but he's got to put together 16 games he knows that he's talked about it and he's well aware that if he's not available to this team for 16 games He's not much good to them. So I think the idea that he was on the outs or maybe would be traded probably fueled him a little bit. But at the same time, it seems like he's pretty safe right now if for no other reason because Trent Murphy's having trouble staying on the field. And there's not a whole lot behind those two right now at defensive end. Mike Love has had his moments. Mm -hmm. um, But other than that, I feel like the defensive end depth isn't crazy on this team so that gives Shaq Lawson some security what he does with it is up to him totally right and you know I thought maybe Terrence Fade might be someone that could push for a roster spot but he hasn't really looked that great Um, and you mentioned Mike Love I like what he's done as a pass rusher I think he's a developmental type you throw him on the practice squad and and see if there's anything there as the, as the year kind of goes along and hope you don't make the same mistake as you did last year with Eric Lee, a South Florida boy himself. So, defensive end, Jack Lawson, still a huge preseason for him and perhaps even a, a huge start to the regular season if Trent Murphy isn't going to be ready. We're going to get into a couple more positions before uh, we bid you adieu, but before that, Wanted to get into what we're working on and Matthew Fairburn, what is new with you over at The Athletic? Yeah, over at TheAthletic.com, I'll be wrapping up training camp later today, Wednesday at some point with some some of the winners, some of the losers, you know, superlatives of of sorts. And, you know, the last few days we've kind of, uh, you know, have been lighter practices, but putting a bow on training camp, I've got a little little feature on uh, podcast favorite Marcus Murphy coming down the pipeline that I think people will want to check out and Tim Graham is currently out of town working on a few assignments Um, so he'll have some interesting stuff coming down as well last week we had what John Vogel had Kim Pagula and Jack Eichel uh, interviews back to back so a lot of good stuff happening at The Athletic you can still get in at the 40% discount rate by going to theathletic.com slash billsbeat. That'll get you in at, what, like $2.99 a month uh, at the 40% off for a year subscription. So pretty good deal. Uh, Head over to theathletic.com slash billsbeat 
to get that done and um, check out what we've got going and feel free to hit me up anytime with suggestions and comments on what we're doing we're we're trying to make it uh, everything that you know the subscribers want it to be very good and over at wkbw.com i posted my annual training camp awards um, uh, that features fl the flying up the depth chart award uh, biggest disappointment award rookie stud rookie dud and a, and a and of course camp mvp lvp and other things uh, other awards as well so you can check that out right now at wkbw.com as well as the uh the the last depth chart of the summer sad to say it was a lot of fun doing it i i it was a bit of a challenge to see where everybody was rotating and you had to keep you had to keep a very close attention to all of the different rotation patterns but it was a lot of fun and very enlightening all the same so that's up there and uh and hey how about uh ahead of the friday preseason game against the cleveland browns be doing the pregame on channel seven in buffalo of course the game will be on channel seven in buffalo and hey here's a spoiler you're gonna have a bills beat on the tv matthew fairburn joined us for a round table of sorts and uh, you'll be able to see that for yourself in believe the game's at 7 30 so the pregame show will start at seven o'clock and if you think we're good in podcast form i mean wait till you see us on video yeah wait until you really see. something special unfortunately joby made me hide some of my chest hair he thought <laughs> i was showing too much chest hair for the, the tv cameras so i had to mute my chest hair a little bit but um you know i'm sorry to the the viewers for that but i guess it's there are you know women and children watching so got to be careful with that stuff i just didn't want people to faint out of the attractiveness of the chest hair that it's, it, it, it's it, a problem it, it's, it, it happens it was more for them than it was for you and yeah i i'm just i'm, I'm just i'm just doing it for the public that's all I don't, I don't know i mean i've known you for a long time now i i can handle i can handle seeing that much but i don't know if people could so beware everyone they're I believe there still is some chest hair in the... You uh, can't contain all of it. I mean, if you think... I, I, I thought I was just, you know, doing things right. Showing all that chest hair got Jonah Javad all the way to Dallas. So <laughs> I figured if it worked for him, I might as well give it a try. Man, I wish I wish the uh, the Bills were playing the Cowboys so we could get Jonah on the pod. We, we might get Jonah still on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who the hell is stopping us at this point? All right, so yeah, that's going to be, uh, we've got the pregame at Channel 7 and, uh, of course, the postgame show, too, with Matt Beauvais, Jenna Caleri, and me. All right, back to the positions that we go. I wanted to go over a couple more, and let's head back over to the offensive side of the ball. And running back, you brought up the friend of the pod, Marcus Murphy, even though he probably doesn't know that the podcast exists. Um, we should get him on the podcast. He's I, a good, good talker. I think I think he'd be into that sort of thing. Um, but he is the reason why I bring up the running back position because what we've seen since the start of camp is him go from fifth to now third on the depth chart. And now Traveris Cadet, who was probably seen as somewhat safe heading into camp, looks to be very much on the roster bubble along with Taiwan Jones. So are you of the same estimation that as I am that I think Murphy is fairly safe for the 53-man roster? And uh, and where do we kind of go from there? I think he's pretty safe. It's hard to say one preseason game in because injuries are a huge part of you know what's going to happen at that position. But a little sneak preview of what I have coming. I Brandon Bean is a big, big fan of Marcus Murphy. And outside of, you know, the quotes that he gave or whatever else, what he said about him, the fact that Brandon Bean said he didn't want Marcus Murphy in the game quite as long as he was on Thursday night tells me a lot. Because yeah. he was in the game for a while. I think he was in the game in the fourth quarter even. Had more touches than anybody on the field and that was because LaShawn McCoy didn't play and other factors you know went into that uh, speaking of that's I think that's Marcus Murphy's high school coach calling. <laughs> uh, 
don't take the call. Or do. No, I can't take the call. I know that. Because I don't have my uh, But we'll have to go with the, uh, hopefully he leaves a message. Um, um, but the fact that he wanted him out of the game, to me, is... <laughs> that's hilarious. That <laughs> I'm is assuming that's him because it's a Texas phone number. Um, but Marcus Murphy, by the way, went to high school with Von Miller. Wow. Did not know that. Did not make his freshman A team at DeSoto High School wow. in Texas. So um, he's had a, a tough road to get here. But he, the fact that Brandon Bean, it wasn't – he was up there sweating when Marcus Murphy's on the field in the fourth quarter, that's probably not something that you would have said coming into training camp because that's probably the guy you want out there and, you know, in the fourth quarter, you've got these running backs that you just roll out there and and have them, you know, take a beating. But that's not what they were hoping for. That said, Marcus Murphy loved it. He was like, "Give me all the carries. I want every chance to to show what I can do." And I think he's taken advantage. I mean, he was the same way at Mizzou, kind of an afterthought guy, and then just burst onto the scene with ten touchdowns as a junior, and you know, was great on special teams. He's just always taken advantage of every opportunity he's gotten. Never the biggest, never the fastest, but I think of the running backs outside of McCoy and Ivory, he's been first up in the rotation, and he's a guy that I think has, you know, he brings so much to the table in terms of being able to do a little bit of everything. You don't need to take him off the field at any point because he can pass block, he can catch the ball, he can split him out wide, he can run the ball, you can play him on special teams. That's what you need to be as a depth running back, and he has all that. And long-time Bills Beat listeners will know that this feature for you has been a long time coming. You've been talking about Marcus Murphy for a while, and to, and to your credit, because he has definitely come in and taken advantage of the opportunity that might not have been there at the beginning of things. But I want to go to the other side, because I agree with everything you said about Marcus Murphy. He looks like He looks like that he can be a very versatile piece for them. Now it comes down to, because I think they're going to keep four running backs. It comes down to Traveris Cadet and Taiwan Jones. I'm sorry, Keith Ford. There's just, you're not involved with special teams. You haven't shown enough. Maybe practice squad. But those two veteran players. And I think right now I'm on the side of Taiwan Jones. Because Cadet has been, Cadet and Jones have going back, been back and forth between second and third team duties the past few days. And Jones is with the first team on special teams in a lot of different ways. And he's also a returner. So that's not to say that it's the ultimate predictor. But when you have players on special teams in those roles, then that's usually a good indication of their standing within the internal depth chart. Otherwise, they wouldn't put them in those positions in the first place. Not to say it's going to Danny Crossman's going to march into Sean McDermott's office and say, "Look, you need to leave me, Taiwan Jones." If Taiwan Jones is not going to give them enough on the offensive side, if they need him to, then go with Traveris Cadet. But I think the trouble here is it's twofold. It's Jones is playing all these special teams, and can and Cadet has looked more and more like just another guy out there and I wonder if the age is kind of getting to him a little bit and of course the gruesome injury he suffered last year he just he doesn't look like he has the same sort of pop to his running that that he used to and I think that's somewhat of a problem for him yeah and he knows the offense really well which I think helps him and he can do a lot of the stuff that Marcus Murphy can do but I think Marcus Murphy in a way is like a younger younger version you know he's got more you know the word Brandon Bean used to describe him is he's got juice and I think Cadet is losing some of his juice is it perhaps because he's not pushing 30 like the rest of them well and I mentioned that to Brandon Bean as like you know the one you know he is a lot younger than your other running backs Keith Ford notwithstanding and that makes a difference you know Brandon Bean mentioned guys like Darren Sproles you know a name he brought up which is an interesting comparison 
is Fozzie Whitaker uh, in Carolina, which, because, you know, Brandon Bean is smart. He's media savvy. He's like, I want to be careful who we compare him to here. I don't want to say he's Darren Sproles, uh, but, you know, Fozzie Whitaker is a more realistic, probably, comparison. And that's those are the guys that can carve out roles and hang around in the league. The fact that Marcus Murphy has hung around in the league the way he has since 2015, I think, is a testament to the fact that he, you know, he's useful. And he's the more you can do, the more likely you are to stick. And there's not really any, given how much Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean like him and, and like what he brings to the table, it's not like there's anybody that's going to make it that hard to keep Marcus Murphy on the no, roster. No, you're, when not. you're talking about Traveris Cadet, a guy that you pulled off the street, Taiwan Jones, a guy that you pulled off the street before camp last year, Keith Ford, an undrafted free agent. I mean, let McCoy and Ivory be your, your one-two punch, and then you have a change-of-pace guy that can, you know, you don't necessarily want Chris Ivory on the field on third-down passing situations unless he's blocking. Uh, but what Brandon Bean said was that when Murphy's on the field, teams don't necessarily know what we're doing. And that's important because, and Cadet has mentioned that too, just in this offense in general, that they're asking the running backs to do a whole lot so that when Marcus Murphy's on the field or Cadet is on the field, it's not just the assumption that, oh, they're going to pass the ball. Oh, they're going to you know get this guy in space and see what he can do. So I'll be interested to see how Marcus Murphy does, if he can hold up the rest of training camp, stay healthy, because if he can, I, I think he's made a very strong case for the 53. Yes, he has. A couple of things. One, percentage of Bills Beat listeners that who are like, oh yeah, Fozzie Whitaker. Or, wait, there was a guy named Fozzie Whitaker that played? It, that's a deep dive. That's a deep cut right there. And, and he was with the Panthers for a little... Uh, I probably wouldn't cup remember him if his name wasn't Fozzie Whitaker. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, secondly, and this is a, a bigger point about the running backs in general and where Brian Dable has been, I wonder that once the Bills move on from LaShawn McCoy, if they're not – I wonder if they're going to set up shop with the running backs the way that the New England Patriots do, where they've got a lot of guys, they don't really feature one. Maybe they feature one – um, in one game, another in the other game, just dictated by who they're up against. Because it seems to me that the way he's kind of mixed people in throughout training camp, whether it be wide receiver, tight end, running back, it seems to me like it's not necessarily important for them to have that bell cow guy and the, the guy that leads them in touches no matter what. Of course, you like to have that every once in a while, but... I wonder if they, if he really feels like it's a priority to them based on where he's been and what he's seen. Yeah, and I think that would be probably the approach you want to take. And you even think about, you know, the New England running backs, how many of them came out of nowhere, right? right. These guys that came off the street, uh, you know, and they find roles and they're useful for a period of time and then they find the next guy. Like and, I think of Dion Lewis and he came out of nowhere and, and – like when when you say Marcus Murphy, and I'm thinking oh, Marcus Murphy could actually like do something this year if Lashawn McCoy gets hurt. But if if he gets that opportunity, I think he could do something. And I'm like, well, the Patriots had Deion Lewis, who was essentially an afterthought. Then he gets into the lineup, and he just he played with his hair on fire. And now he signed a big contract in Tennessee because of what he could do. So that's why I'm thinking like once Shady is done, I wonder if they don't just maybe not ignore it, but don't really address it in, a, in to a large degree. Well, it's, you know, next year, I'm sure mock drafters and all of that will have, you know, wide receiver or running back as a priority for the Bills. I don't think they're going to be the type of team that'll spend a first-round pick on running back. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they will because in Carolina, you know, Christian McCaffrey... Right. Jonathan Stewart, uh, even D'Angelo Williams, I think, was a first-round pick. So, they're you know they spent resources on that position, but I wouldn't be surprised if they waited around and you know tried to maximize what they get out of you know some of these unknown type of guys. I mean, it would be they love guys like Marcus Murphy. I mean, that is like the exact type of guy that is cut 
you know, from their cloth. You know, a guy that's been overlooked and has a ton to prove and shows up every day and, you know, works hard and he's, they don't have to be on him about getting treatment. They don't have to worry about him. You know, he's he just does his job and they like that about him. And if they can get something out of a guy like that, I mean, that's like Sean McDermott's fantasy. I mean, he loves when things like that happen. You know, some at the Eddie Arboros of the world, the, the Matt Milano, Jason Kroom. Jason Kroom. Nathan Peterman is probably the prime example. They love Nathan Peterman, uh, you know, despite some of his shortcomings because, you know, he is that that constantly disrespected guy. So uh, I think it, I'll be interested to see how they rotate these running backs. And it's not a given that LaShawn McCoy will hold up, you know, for the entire season. He is 30, and I know he doesn't run like it. He doesn't look like he's 30. But you never know when a guy's going to fall off the up the cliff until he's, you know, hanging on to the ledge. I mean, hang on though. We don't know if he still looks the same. That's Be- true. Because it, he, he looks he, quick. He, he looks in training you know, camp but, though. Because you're you're designed to look quick in training camp. He didn't take a snap in that first preseason game. Will he in the second preseason game? I don't know. Maybe they limit him and and say, hey, we we just need you for the start of the regular season. Uh, I'm not saying that he is going to look slower by any means, but. I don't know that we can sit here and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be the same guy as he was last year. We don't know. We don't know yet. We haven't seen him in the game and if if that speed is going to go because once the speed goes a little bit, the production is going to go a lot of it. And that's the whole story with Sean McCoy, and I think he kind of knows that too because speed is his game and being able to to stay away from the contact and make people miss, that's, that's him. And he was dynamic last year. But is he going to be the same this time around? I don't know. I don't think he can reinvent himself by any means you know he's not gonna say all right late career LaShawn McCoy is gonna be a bruiser I I just don't think he has that in his skill set and the way that he plays the second that burst and quickness goes away it it's gonna go downhill fast that's how it happens with running backs and even guys like LaDainian Tomlinson you know, he was able to extend his career by being a bit more of a bruiser. But Shady doesn't have that build, really. And he could maybe transform his body, but he also just doesn't have that mentality. I think he could still be reasonably productive, but it's not. it won't necessarily be worth the price tag in Buffalo, and he won't be able to be the centerpiece of an offense. He'll be able to be a part-time back and maybe a, a more high-powered offense where he can still catch passes out of the backfield and do things like that but I just don't I, I'm curious to see how he looks because we, it's been a while since we've seen him fully healthy and and in a game setting and they you know kept him in bubble wrap on Thursday night maybe this will be the night where national TV he wants to get out there and, and take a few carries all right last position that we're going to get to before we go bye-bye. This is something that has come on like tight end over the past week. Weak side linebacker. And I quite frankly didn't expect this to happen because of who they had starting there. But Matt Milano is either being pushed for his starting role or the Bills are trying to light a fire under his butt. And it could, ass, if you will. It, 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 it could be both. It could very well be. Thank you for the addition. It, it very well could be both. And just what we've seen, Milano still getting some first-team reps, but also Ramon Humber working in there. Even Keenan Robinson working in there at times at that weak side spot. And after going back and watching the Bills-Panthers game again, I can see why that the Bills are ticked off. Milano got pushed around in that game. I remember there was one sweep play that went wide and, you know, Tremaine Edmonds did a nice job you know, setting it up. Uh, Eddie Yarbrough did a great job forcing it wide. Jordan Poyer did a great job keeping it on the inside and not the boundary. It all set up for Milano to win his matchup with his speed and to make the tackle. And instead, he got occupied. Not only that, he got bumped back a good seven or eight yards on the touchdown run that went right over him and he got 
pushed back about five, six yards into the end zone. It was not pretty. And then even in coverage responsibilities, saw him in a zone. He he did not have his proper positioning, proper technique to where if he had to make a play on the ball or if the ball was somewhere around him and they hit him with a crossing pattern, then he would have been totally out of sorts and it would have been a huge gain because he didn't maintain his technique and position. And I think that is why it has drawn the ire of the Bills so far. And I even saw a couple days ago, Sean McDermott, during an individual drill, go up and maybe not scream, but he had some pretty stern words for Milano because he did not withhold proper technique in in his uh, zone coverage and what he wanted to see. And we all know McDermott is a huge proponent of you practice, you play how you practice. And if you loaf through the reps in practice, then that's how he thinks you're going to be in the game. So for for him to see Milano do this in the practice when they're still trying to push him, that ticked him off. So he pulled him over to the side. He was showing him the technique that he wanted. And I honestly think this is just a light of fire under his behind because you can't go into the season with Ramon Humber being your weak side linebacker. I don't know about Keenan Robinson either, but Milano showed enough potential last year to where you want him out there and want to see what he can do with all the responsibilities that he has. But that said, he has to also prove it on on the practice ground and in the games. And if he's showing any ounce of complacency, the Bills aren't going to have that at all. And let's not forget that last year... Ramon Humber was not good, but he held his own in the early part of the season. Obviously, once he got hurt and you know injuries started to pile up, he didn't hold on to his starting job, so he wasn't a stud. But Matt Milano is a fifth-round pick, so you're not sitting there saying this guy absolutely has a stranglehold on his job for the foreseeable future. That's very much a position in flux. There's a reason they went out and got Keenan Robinson just to see what they could add in terms of depth. Ramon Humber pretty much is what he is, but he's played some games and he he held his own at at least in run support. I thought um, early in the early part of the season. Pass coverage, he's a nightmare. Yeah, pass coverage, he's a bit inconsistent, and Milano's probably your better bet there. Inconsistent but, was a very nice word of you, by the well, way. Well, I'm a very nice guy. Everybody <laughs> knows it. Uh, they're all saying it. Uh, but <laughs> Milano, you know, gives you a little bit of the opposite. He can cover. He's got the wheels to do that, to play in space. But sometimes in run support, you know, you're not getting what you want out of a linebacker. Again, this is, what, going to be the third or fourth time I've brought up the 2019 NFL draft on this podcast because I'm very excited for the 2019 NFL draft. But that's probably another position that they're not totally out on for the, you know, early part of the draft because – you know, Tremaine Edmonds is looks like he could be great, but he's going to need a running mate at linebacker, and that's still a very thin position for them. And if Matt Milano takes any sort of step back this year, I don't think they'll hesitate at all to replace him. Yeah, Milano has to show that he can take that next step as the other linebacker playing 100% of the snaps because if he doesn't, like you said, it, this is that would be a prime opportunity for them to fill another hole. And we've seen them go out and do it with a fifth round player so I don't even necessarily think it has to be like an early round pick if if they were to do it but a third fourth round pick I don't I think I think that would be right in their wheelhouse of of guys that they would want to fill that type of role all right so we've gotten through four positions other than quarterback I feel good about this I don't know about you training camp is over can't believe it Three more preseason games to go. Really looking forward to seeing the standing ovation for uh, for Andy Dalton in, in the third preseason game. That'll be hilarious. And and really, we're not that far away from the start of the regular season. We've got the game on Friday. Then a week passes. The Bengals game is on that next Sunday. But then the fourth preseason game is on the Thursday. And after that, that's when the cuts roll in. And then that next Monday is when things get real and you're in game week. So we're almost there. It's like two full weeks away. I don't know if my body's ready yet. It will be once we get there. But 
man, it, this thing, I don't know about you, camp has flown by this year. It, even though did all the driving, I mean, still, it it doesn't seem like we have been there for, for three weeks. Well, it's because we don't really have an answer to the biggest question on the team. And, and it's not because they won't say anything. It's because when you watch practice, that quarterback position is still very much up in the air. And so when there's still a lot unsettled and there's still three preseason games to be played, it definitely feels like there's a lot of training camp to go. And training camp really isn't over. St. John Fisher is, but they're still going to be practicing uh, training camp style for the next couple of weeks. We just won't be able to see it. Yeah. And, you know, but that, that regular season opener is right around the corner, and there's a lot of questions unanswered. But we'll see. We get You get more answers in the preseason games than you do in training camp anyway. So starting with the nationally televised hard knocks featured Friday night game between the Browns and the Bills. We're going to start to see what this team is made of. Yes, we will. Um, we are now at the toll booths, which, as you know from the previous On the Roadcast, that is where we bid you adieu. So for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening to this rendition of the Bills Beat podcast. And we will talk to you the day after the game when the Bills take on the Browns on Friday. See ya.